I wanted my ability, my skills, my leadership. That's what I wanted to define me. I didn't want to be Abby Bolt, the gal that the gal that got raped while she was out on an assignment. You know, the fire world is so small that it's it can quickly turn your identity into that. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. Enchanted Sky Studios in Prescott, Arizona. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service, discussing firefighting strategies, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code 3. This is the show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service, just like you, from coast to coast. Battalion Chief Abby Bolt was a 22-year veteran firefighter in the U.S. Forest Service. She quit last month posting a version of her resignation letter on the internet. In it, she says a, quote, toxic dynamic of leadership, which made my job, which was my life, a complete misery, end quote, was behind her resignation. Abby said the usual response to repeated complaints about bullying and other mistreatment was that she could leave if she didn't like it. After she filed a gender discrimination complaint in 2014, the harassment increased, she said. Anonymous notes began to show up in her mailbox, telling her that she was an example of why women didn't belong in firefighting. An investigation by management went nowhere. Some people may find it hard to believe that this behavior still goes on, but at least in the U.S. Forest Service, it apparently does. Abby was a district assistant fire management officer on the Kern River Ranger District of California's Sequoia National Forest. And joining me now to discuss her experiences is Abby Bold. Welcome to Code 3. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Take me back to your early days as a Forest Service firefighter. Why did you join them? Well, I actually, um, I grew up surrounded by the forest. So I grew up on a ranch that is bordered by federal land, BLM and Forest Service. And I just kind of by default fell into wildland firefighting. I mean, I was surrounded by it for my whole life and then started going to college. And I actually just had some space to fill in some college credits. And I saw a wildland fire class and it sparked my interest. And once I took that class, I was off to the races, never looked back. So you didn't actually grow up wanting to be a firefighter. You were just sort of immersed in it. Yeah, I I didn't. I knew because I loved competitive sports. I loved teamwork. I loved, you know, I love softball, volleyball. Those were kind of my two go-tos. And, you know, I wish that I could just play competitive team sports my whole life. And fighting fire seemed to be the closest thing to that because... When once I really got the bug and then I started talking to some friends about like, how do I get into this? There just happened to be a position available on um, a local hotshot crew. And I was told that 
you should never rookie on a hotshot crew and they never take rookies, but I just shot in the dark and went and went in for an interview. They happened to have a position open and I rookied on a hotshot crew. Moved on as a, a seasonal firefighter and helicopter repeller. And so I worked with them for a little while and then decided to keep going and moved up to Montana and got, that's where I got my first permanent job with the Forest Service was actually on the Bitterroot National Forest in Montana and progressed there and decided I wanted to keep venturing out because in your younger years, you know, you can, you can, you can take those adventures, you can travel, you can just throw in for a job wherever sounds cool. And I literally, I took the next job in South Dakota, basically on a whim as well. When way back in the day, when you would put in your application, you could put nine locations to choose from. And I had filled out eight of those and I had a ninth slot and I couldn't decide what to put in there. And I saw Black Hills National Forest as a selection. And I just remember I really liked Black Hills Gold. So <laughs> I marked the box, not even really knowing where that was at. And next thing you know, I got a phone call and a job offer from the Black Hills. And I said yes and went out there completely sight unseen and absolutely loved it. And I probably would have stayed out there in that area or that region. But um, I was really feeling the tug back to be near my family and my sisters as they were finishing growing up and so then I applied back into California and, and then came back and then stayed with the Forest Service ever since. And then I went to the Inyo National Forest and the El Dorado National Forest and then settled back home on the Sequoia National Forest. So that's been my path. So you were a hotshot your first year. What was that like? <laughs> it was, well, I didn't know any better. Let me put it that way. You know, I didn't, I hadn't been in at all to know like either what their reputation was or what to expect really just when I got my initial training, cause I volunteered to get my initial training. I, I went and sat in some classes just on my own time to get those initial certificates. And so then I started with a crew and all I knew is I just wanted to prove myself there. I was the only girl on the entire crew and they were already ahead of me. They had already been there, you know, for at least a season or 10 and <laughs> They knew what to expect. And I came in after the season started and starting from zero and then trying to match up to their hundred. It, it was a it was a challenge every day. I'm not gonna lie. It totally was. Now, how did they treat you at that point? How did you get along with the guys? You know, it was a mix. Getting along with guys really was never a problem for me because I grew up in a very tomboy manner. Like my dad has three girls and he always meant to have three boys. <laughs> like there's no doubt. Like when he, when, before they had kids, he was like, I'll never have a daughter. I'm only meant to have sons, you know, well, we're the three sons that he never had. And so <laughs> we were kind of raised like boys. So the hard work ethic and, you know, just kind of the tough attitude was totally fine by me and growing up on a ranch. And, but I have to tell you the truth, my first year, something that was definitely a jaw dropper. Like I was a total athlete. I was the, you know, fastest on my softball team. I could get to first base for anybody else. I had really a great athletic ability, but man, there is nothing to prepare you for trying to get up the mountain the first time in like a PT hike with all that gear on your back and stick in a line. Like that was my first introduction to true crew hiking. And that was a big eye opener. So it was a challenge. And then the captain on the crew or the foreman, he, he basically told me, he's like, okay, you're new here. You have two weeks to make it by this time to the top of the mountain or you're out. And I was like, all right, copy that. <laughs> so 
that was IPT off the clock, on the clock, in between to make sure that I could get up to that crew pace and not be a drag. And I achieved that and then a bunch more and still remember the day where I beat a bunch of guys in on the run that I didn't normally beat. But I finally got to that level, whooped them. And of course, as they all came tumbling in from the run, they were getting their rear ends chewed out for letting a girl beat them. And I just had this like little silent smile inside. I'm like, that's right. <laughs> so there's your typical hazing stuff. You know, I, I dealt with the silly little things that the new guy deals with, you know, rocks in your pack, just getting little base picked on things that don't surprise me at all. I mean, that's the kind of rookie behavior that doesn't bother me. It's just kind of fitting into the new team and being the new guy. But there were some, there were definitely some moments of just things that occurred that should not have, but Back at that time, I didn't know how wrong they were, I think. There was one moment where in the middle of the night, looking back at it, I realized kind of how dangerous it could have been. We were sitting on a, a dozer line in, I think it was the Los Padres National Forest. On We'd been on a fire all day and we're there through the night mopping up. And we're just kind of sitting, taking a break in the dark. And rocks kept rolling by me. Like, they weren't huge. But I mean, on a dozer line, things like that tumble down. And you don't really think much of it. And then bigger rocks started coming. And and it and more. And I just thought, man, something is going on up above me like I need to move. Well, it wasn't until like two years later, one of the guys came back to me and told me that they had been rolling rocks down on top of me mm. just to pick at me. And I didn't even know there's a lot of things that I didn't have my eyes open to until way later, you know, but that gave me a foundation. Like I just no matter that challenge wasn't is fine. I loved the buggy life. And I loved going out to fires and I loved being a hot shot, and I loved all the hard work to it enough to where I knew that that's something I wanted to do and that I couldn't wait to come back. And, you know, when I, my first year, when I got, had my exit interview for the season and left, I, I was open with them. I mean, I was 19 years old and told the guys there, the soup and the two captains, I said, look, I'm not one of those girls, but I'm going to tell you right now, if one of those girls does show up on your crew, she's going to have something to sue you about. Like, I don't even know how that all works, but I'm just telling you right now, like I am not one of those girls and I will just keep working my butt off. But I just gave him a fair warning and let him know that there was something they needed to improve. When did you first begin to see harassment that you could recognize as harassment? I, looking back now, I saw it from day one, but I didn't know that that's what it was. Right. But when did you actually begin to realize it? I think, you know, the mo- there was a moment where I was like, man, this is not okay. Um, we were hiking on a PT hike and it was pretty, pretty steep section. And, um, I'm getting up the hill and the guy behind me, who was actually my foreman or my captain at the time, he just kept shoving me down to where I would trip and fall, shoving me down, shoving me down, telling me that that was going to make me stronger. But it just kept making me fall down into the dirt because this piece of hill was so steep. And the way he would shove on my pack would throw all my weight off and I would drop down to the ground. Well, every time that I would drop, the crew would just get further away from me. And then I would have that much more space to make up. And the guys in front of me didn't know that that's why I was gapping, that I kept getting thrown down on my hands and knees. And, you know, it, it, I kept trying to accept it as it's just a rite of passage. Have you ever seen anybody use a training technique like that with any male firefighters? No, no, not in particular like that. I haven't. So it began to become obvious to you that there were some people who really didn't want you to stay in that job. So why did you stick with that job for so long? Because I I knew that out of, like, let's say there were 20, 22 people on the crew that year. I knew out of that many guys, you're going to get a couple of jerks in there. And I knew that I wasn't going to let them make me not like the job because 
there may have been some difficult people in it, but I love the job. And that's why I wanted to stick with it. There were, there were so many other great moments that I know not a lot of people get to have with the jobs they're in and they were worth sticking it out and figuring, I wanted to figure out a way to either one, not be somebody they wanted to pick on or two, figure out how to not put up with it. Cause as I progressed throughout my career, a few years, well, the next crew that I went on was day and night. They did not behave that way. So then I knew that they refreshed me and I realized that it doesn't have to be that way. And then as I became a supervisor throughout my career, I mean, I, I quickly figured out what I was, did not have to tolerate and what I did. And I figured out how to nip it in the bud right away. Now, in 2012, you were sexually assaulted by a firefighter who was not with the Forest Service while you were on assignment in Colorado, but you didn't report it to your supervisors. Why didn't you do that? To be honest with you, I just, I didn't want to bring that kind of attention to all my peers, to my brothers and sisters. I, my team that I was there with, they were, they were like my family. I mean, I didn't even tell my family until very, I mean, my, you know, I talked to my sisters about it, but you know, my poor mom and dad didn't learn about it until they saw it on PBS. And I just, I knew that if something like that was reported, it was going to swing the entire focus from our emergency management focus to this issue, this incident that happened to Abby. And it would have put the brakes on so many people's career or season. You know, my incident commander would have had to stop and deal with it. Everybody would have had to stop and deal with it. And I just, I didn't want to be that hiccup in their progression. I didn't want to bring that sort of a storm down on the team. That's a pretty heavy burden for one person to carry alone. When did you decide to speak up about it? Once a reporter from PBS talked to me, you know, it took me a long time, long, long time. And I had done, initially I had done a police report. Now I did report it. I did the full on police report. I came back, you know, it was actually, I have a girlfriend who's a detective for um, the police department out here where I live. And on my way home, I reached out to her. I was just totally, I don't know, I was petrified. I didn't know what to do. I was just in shock. I was really, I mean, you're really in shock and in major denial, major denial. And you put so much doubt on yourself. I worked so hard to be a strong woman in fire that I didn't want that to define me. I wanted my ability, my skills, my leadership. That's what I wanted to define me. I didn't want to be Abby Bolt, the gal that the gal that got raped while she was out on a assignment. You know, the fire world is so small that it's it can quickly turn your identity into that. In 2014, you filed a gender discrimination complaint with the EEOC. Tell me about that complaint. Hey, you know what's sad is that you know, looking back, I'm more than happy to not report an an assault. But then what's sad is what can eat you up even worse is like an administrative harassment or like a small one-on-one. <laughs> it's crazy. Like, and, I, and the psyche through all this that I've been learning and understanding throughout it is it's so hard to describe and to get others to understand. But I'd been putting up with, um, with a couple of supervisors who were just on me constantly and really kind of knocking me down as a mother and not basically not treating me the same way as they were my male battalion chiefs. And just there was a serious unfairness and um, isolation that I kept seeing and that kept damaging my career all the way around. And that I was able to, I was able to report that, I guess, and feel more confident 
about something like that because I could show emails that proved it or um, one-on-one conversations. And that was less shameful to me in a way than having everybody look at an assault and judge me through that. And I think that's just something that we've created in the culture. So that's when I moved forward and, and called the called the hotline and let them know that I thought that something was certainly not right there. And they helped guide me through the complaint process. And yet after that, you were the target of more harassment. What happened then? Well, I gave up. Honestly, I, I just got beat down on trying to, to move forward through the process in 2014. You know, fire season was charging on. They were delaying things constantly. The investigator was delaying things. One thing after another just poured on and really they just wear you out to where you give up. And I just needed to move forward and fight fire and be a good mom. And I let it go. And then after that, it was, it was almost like they were like, oh, good, she let it go. So now let's, now let's get her. And just the administrative bullying became worse and worse and worse from, you know, from being left out of things or being denied fire assignments or opportunities or training, or I had my office moved three times. My schedule was messed with. I mean, they were doing things that actually harmed my ability as a mom and my my custody situation. I mean, that's how deep they were dieting into my life and harming it, not to mention that thirty to $40,000 worth of overtime they were denying me a year compared to the other guys I was working with. And I, it was clear that it was reprisal. Once I, once I filed a complaint and listed those names on the, you know, on the paperwork, from then on, those two guys, like you could almost sense the day that they were told, hey, she filed a complaint against you because everything changed. And it's so hard to get people to understand it and see it until you're seeing the pattern or you're feeling it. You know, employees would come up to me and tell me that they saw it, that they knew it was happening, but they just, they were too afraid for their own, their own either reputation or, or their worry about getting picked on to officially say anything about it. Well, you clearly love the job, although maybe not the people in charge of the job. What was the final straw that caused you to resign after all this time? I have worked for, like, there's no doubt I have worked for some amazing leaders. So that, you know, the people, the people that I've worked for during the job, I would say that have 98% been top notch people. And throughout my career, if I did work for someone that wasn't top notch, I was able to, you know, move on or transfer away from them on my next step. So I knew that was coming. And the kicker on this situation is I moved back to my hometown. This is where I grew up. This is where I decided to settle back. I went out and gained experience and came back to be near my family. So it wasn't as easy as just seeing a poor supervisor and getting out of their way. You know, it was, I needed to stand up for myself. And then I realized I needed to stand up for other people. The final straw that caused the resignation is all of my situation was out on the table, all of it to the point where it was in national news. Now I didn't even, I never even wanted to go national news. I have been a firm believer in not letting the outside know about the difficult things going on in the inside. You just make it look like everything's fine. You take care of the family. And I've always been a huge advocate of that. I've been dealing with some pretty rough stuff, but on the outside, nobody knows, nobody knew. I still sang the, you know, the forest service mission and wore my green really proud, but there started to be a, a just a time where I didn't feel proud to put on my shirt anymore. I wasn't feeling proud to drive around in my battalion chief truck. I started to almost feel ashamed because of the, just the administrative behavior that I was watching happen. Some interior corruption and serious lack of integrity to where I just, I stopped feeling proud to be a part of it. And, you know, the final kicker to 
it's time to just resign and let it go was a big part of that is really putting my money where my mouth is. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to preach it if I'm not going to practice it. And I was feeling really ashamed, even drawing a paycheck from people who have such a disrespect for those out there who are trying to speak up. And when I got some very clear signs, I mean, validly clear signs from people in leadership all the way to the top of the USDA, not just the top of the Forest Service, but the top of the USDA that really showed me that they were not truly interested in improvement. They weren't interested in doing something different and outside the box to improve. And I kept seeing so many top leaders or managers not being truthful in many ways, whether it was verbal, email, press, whatever it was, not being truthful and being supported. I just, I couldn't be a part of that anymore. Now, you resigned with an open letter, although I understand that the one the public has seen is not exactly the same as the one you sent internally. What's the reaction to that open letter been like? Nothing has made my my heart swell more than that. I got hundreds, if not into the thousands, of replies from people across the nation, from the Forest Service, also from outside agencies, Basically, the common theme was, thank you for saying what we need to say, what we want to say. Thank you for, thank you for explaining, you know, or, or calling out the agency on all the things where they're failing their people. I mean, I couldn't believe some of the emails I got and I was in tears so often and I'm still getting them in replies. I've, I've gotten them from people who aren't even in the agency, like someone that'll say, my husband forwarded this to me. Thank you for doing this. Or Um, My sister sent this to me and she's been struggling so hard there with the agency. Thank you for saying something that will hopefully make things better for her. And that's been the response. Now, as far as the agency, they haven't even sent me anything to acknowledge my resignation. (laughs) So, um, so as far as you know, you're still on their rolls. Oh no, I'm pretty sure they shut me out of that. (laughs) I haven't gotten a paycheck. That's They definitely figure out how to turn it off. But you know, I thought I would have like some confirmation letter or something to say, like, thanks for being with us. Here's all the ways to close out your stuff with HR or something like that. But no, it's been sheer crickets as far as that goes. Well, now, since then, you've started a website called Up in Flames and a podcast called Her Brotherhood. What are you hoping is going to result from them? Well, both of those concepts came from me or came out of me more than a year ago. And that's when her brotherhood came to mind. I knew I wanted to do something to get the stories about women. You know, my story right then had been, you know, she's been dealing with harassment and assault and da, 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 da. And for my whole career, I didn't want that kind of stuff to outweigh my strengths and my ability to fight fire and lead in the fire service. So I thought I'm going to twist all of this into an energy that will celebrate women like me who are, you know, putting their lives out there. They're doing these kind of jobs and careers. And I want to celebrate them and share the great stories, the stories that people are missing because they're so overshadowed with the other things like harassment and the Me Too era and, and all of that. So that's when I came up with Her Brotherhood. You know, all these all these careers where women work with primarily men, um, because there's nothing better than a whole bunch of brothers. I mean, it's awesome to have a whole bunch of brothers on your team watching out for you. When the PBS thing came out and I was terrified of that, as soon as that got released, I just got a landslide of calls and and a reach out on social media from the men in the fire service that I've worked with all these years to show their support. 
And I knew that my brotherhood was still strong and it showed me that it was stronger than I even knew that it was. And I valued that so much. And that's where I came up with the brotherhood theme and it's her brotherhood. You know, a lot of people call it, oh, well, we've got a sisterhood and all this stuff, but really the baseline of the camaraderie in it and the team feeling in it, it's the brotherhood or brotherhood is the definition of that is, is feeling like you're a part of something. And so to me, her brotherhood is, I just want to celebrate all the good things and talk about, you know, triumph. I want to talk about all these people that, that triumph over these challenges and celebrate that. And then, so that, that'll be a podcast. It is a podcast. I've got a couple episodes out already and a a website. I've got some amazing interviews. Trish Paulette from San Diego Fire Department. She recently retired. She's, um, she has an amazing interview and story that even talks about uh, when she found herself in the Vegas shootings, her and her husband, who was also a a firefighter, ended up rescuing people there. I've got um, a pilot over in Florida, a helicopter pilot. Her, Her name happens to be Abby. She has some amazing stories. I've just got things across the board and stories that I can't wait to share with people. And then just a sense of community. And I wanna, I'm also going to be interviewing people that, you know, men that work with women and how they feel about their sisters, you know, and how they feel about their brotherhood and, and some amazing women that they've worked with. It sounds like it's essentially good news, which, you know, some people might be surprised that you're not going to complain about your treatment. But I think the idea of good news has more staying power, for lack of a better phrase. Yeah, that's what I'm, that's exactly what I'm hoping, because you know, I, I want to celebrate stuff. I don't want it to just be a beat down, you know, and even with the up in flames effort that I'm doing, that is all about just helping people feel like they're being understood, like they're not out on an island when they feel like they're just going down in flames and everything is crashing in their career. I want them to realize that they can actually go up in flames and make something good from it, find a solution, whatever that is. And then, you know, her brotherhood is all about celebration of triumph in spite of tragedy being able to overcome things and and show all these really great stories and people that make up her brotherhood. All right, last question. What's your next career move? I think I'm living it <laughs> right now. You know, immediate something that really just also warmed my heart was right away I started having fire departments reach out to me who were more than happy to have me work with them as soon as I stepped away from the Forest Service. Um, Garden Valley Fire District in California, Laverne Fire Department in California, um, they are both more than happy with open arms to take me as a battalion chief and have me fight fire under their name. So I'm still committed to California Incident Management Team 4 as a division supervisor and a situation unit leader. And I'm working on my operations section uh, task book. So I'm definitely going to be charging forward in wildland fire. And I've been reached out to as a consultant in several different arenas. And, and these podcasts are these, those are definitely my passion projects that I want to move forward. And of course, public speaking has also been reached out to. So I'm going to be doing some different speaking events in the near future as well. So I'm really looking forward to it. I finally get to be the creative person I've always wanted to be about the things I love. Sounds great. Abby Bolt, thanks for talking with me today on Code 3. Thank you, Scott. I really appreciate it. And we put some more information about Abby's efforts to end gender discrimination on our website at Code3Podcast.com slash resignation. Check it out. 
All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. This time we talked about the attitude some men in firefighting still seem to have about women. I'd like to hear what your experience is, both bad and good, whether you're male or female, have been on this topic. Just email me, scott at co3podcast.com. I'll read your comments on a future show. Don't worry, though, I'll keep your name out of it. That's all for now. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To contact us, get more information on today's topic, or subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.